Langdon Boyd. Soon after they were engaged, in early 1942, he was sent to Malta, where he had the most terrible accident. Two planes on a runway collided head-on and burst into flames. My father jumped clear, but his face and right hand were very badly burnt. Jock was flown home and taken straight to East Grinstead in Sussex to the Burns Unit at Queen Victoria Hospital. Physically, they patched him up as well as they could. He was left with a badly burned forehead and the tendons in his right hand had been irreparably damaged, so he never flew again. Emotionally, I don't think he ever recovered. From that day on, he was locked into himself. My mother had fallen in love with this handsome, spirited, brave young pilot, and he had gone. The spark had died. But having said she would marry Jock, she didn't have the heart or the courage to call it off. Six months after the accident, on the 14th of September, 1942, they married. My mother says that even as she was walking out of the church, she knew she had made a big mistake. Unable to fly, Jock ended up in the war office, which was enough, according to him, to drive anyone mad. So when my grandparents suggested that he and Mummy join them in Kenya, he leapt at the idea. When I was four, we moved to Africa, to the large, sprawling house that my grandfather had built in Langata, near Karen, about half an hour from Nairobi. The house had glorious views in every direction, across the game reserve that surrounded it. The lawns ran straight into the wilderness, and it was quite common for giraffe, lion, or other wild animals to wander in. I have practically no memory of my mother during my childhood, apart from the smell of her Dior perfume and her singing voice, which was beautiful. In retrospect, I think life must have been difficult for her, suddenly transported to Africa with three young children, a man she didn't love and with whom she couldn't communicate, no friends and no money. Granny had more time for me and a far greater influence over me. My grandparents were wealthy, so there were several servants and nannies to look after us. The servants were Kikuyu, the most common tribe in Kenya, and their families lived in rondavels, traditional circular mud huts with thatched roofs. I used to spend a lot of time with them. They were my friends. They made the most delicious food, mostly Indian-based, and I was fascinated by the jewellery they wore. I loved Kenya. I loved the huge skies and the vast landscapes. At night I would lie in bed and listen to the noises. But what encapsulates Africa for me is the smell of pepper trees and the wild herbs combined with heat and dust. It's an unforgettable mix that takes me straight back to my childhood. After nearly a year, my grandparents told Jock he had to get a job to support his wife and family. He started work with a jockey club in Nairobi, and we lived in a series of far less opulent houses. My mother must have found it a shock to adapt to such straitened circumstances, particularly with the arrival of a fourth child. In 1951, my sister Paula was born in Nakuru Hospital. I had now started school, the first of many, at Loretta Convent in Nairobi. A year later, at the age of eight, I was uprooted from everything I knew and sent to boarding school in Nakuru. I had never felt so miserable. I didn't know what I'd done wrong or why my mother didn't want me at home with her. With hindsight, I think I sensed something bad was going on at home, but I was too young to know what it was. Despite the tears and the trauma, my memories of Nakuru School are good. It was a big school, surrounded by acres of brown playing fields. We slept in big dormitories on black iron bedsteads, and every morning we had to tie up the mosquito nets that hung over us from the ceiling. I went home at half-term, but I don't remember either parent visiting me there. 
On one half-term holiday, I was taken to a new house in Nairobi. Inexplicably, my mother had moved. There she dropped a bombshell. She introduced me to a tall, dark stranger and said, Darling, this is your new father. I was stunned. What had been going on while I was away? What had happened to our home? Where was Daddy? I meekly said hello and shook his hand. The next thing, I was back at school. Apparently, my father had been having an affair and my mother had told Jock she wanted a divorce. But we children knew none of this. My mother had met Bobby Gamer-Jones, the man who became my new father, at a dinner party. She was 31 and still very beautiful but utterly impoverished. Bobby was 28 and very good-looking. He had been a captain in the lifeguards during the war. Afterwards, he had joined Dunlop Rubber Company and been sent out to Tanganyika, now Tanzania, to develop the rubber market there. He was in need of company as much as she was.